0: Hello, once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, October 15th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'm joined by professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from Brad We're going to chat some college football and some NFL here on today's show, as well as address that listener question regarding bankroll management. Should be a lot of fun. We're going to hit a lot of games here on today's show and give you a lot of good insights for the weekend. Over at ATS.io, we got a lot of good insights across all of the sports betting markets in the legal United States sports betting realm. We cover sportsbook reviews, top sportsbook promotions in the industry, and we got a lot of picks, predictions. My College Football Power Ratings get posted over there. Links to recaps and the show ATS Radio. Uh, We cover golf. We cover soccer. We cover all kinds of stuff over at the website. We highly encourage you to check all that out. And check out our ATS YouTube page as well. We do highlight videos from ATS Radio. We got videos from Brian Blessing over there as well. And while you're there, while you're subscribing for that, keep in mind you can subscribe to ATS Radio as well on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you stream and download your podcast content so plenty of ways to consume everything that we have here at ats.io we encourage you to check all that stuff out with that we bring on today's first and only guest that is professional better and handicapper brad powers from bradpowerssports.com. and brad how's it going today buddy
1: that's going well how you doing
0: i'm doing well man although uh the last 24 hours have been pretty rough on the COVID front. Bunch of Falcons got it now, allegedly, or there's false positives. Who knows? Florida LSU taken off the board, postponed. Nick Saban's got it. Uh, you know, not not a real great week on the COVID front so far.
1: <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, East Carolina's quarterback has it, so that's the reason for that line move there. Uh but you know what? Any if it was a different year, if it was twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, I think it'd be a bunch of panic. I just call it another week in twenty twenty, man.
0: Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it feels like. That's a that's a good point there. And uh, you know, I mean, we're seeing the betting board light up a little bit here on Thursday. Of course, limits do increase on Thursday, so you do get another wave of line movement out there in the marketplace. We'll talk about some of that stuff. But you know, speaking of limits and days that limits go up and things of that sort. Had a listener question from one of our listeners, Cody Lancaster, uh, at Mr. The KLL on Twitter, or the Mr. KLL. Apologize for that, Cody. Uh, Question about bankroll management. You know, he's been uh, getting into some more of the podcasts, heard you, I believe, on on one of your radio appearances, then found the show. We always appreciate that. But had some questions about bankroll management and sort of what your approach is uh, to, you know, managing your funds wisely.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, typical, I mean, we get the Kelly criterion and all that, but to, not to overcomplicate things. Uh, I mean, it's probably one of the most important aspects to at least not necessarily becoming winning better, but let's just say lose less. And by lose less, I, I would say less exposure uh, on your bankroll. So I, you know, do between, uh, I think maximum on any one play, no matter how much of an edge you think you have. I mean, I never go uh, beyond 5% of my overall bankroll on an individual play. And usually most weekends, even though I bet a, a ton, I'm only using uh, my overall bankroll for an entire season. I'm only, you know, 20, 25% uh, as far as a typical weekend. I would have to go bust for like four weeks in a row. I mean, big time bust, lose everything for, you know, for me to be out of the game. So that's typically how I treat it, you know, to, to be simple
0: yeah and that echoes a lot of the same things that we talked about yesterday with another professional better and handicapper, Kyle Hunter, in terms of you got to focus on that risk of ruin. You have to understand that you know if you're betting high volume, you probably want a lower percentage of your bankroll on yep. each one of those plays. if you're betting lower volume, maybe you can go four or five percent, something like that and again i I mean look I get it it's it's not a sexy conversation you know it's it's just not to sit there and say. You know, you're going to grind two and a half, three 3% of your bankroll on every play. It, it's not what people want, but this yeah. is a long-term business. And again, you know, it's that big worry of risk of ruin that you have to watch out for because the last thing any of us want to do is have to go back in and reload that bankroll.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the object is to stay in the game uh, for the entire season because, I mean, anybody can start off slow or vice versa, start off fast and finish slow. Uh, You just want to be there at the end because you're going to have bad weeks. You're going to have bad months. Hell, you can even have bad seasons. But, but even in bad seasons, I mean, you, you don't want to go completely bust. And obviously, the, the, the key to that is you, you never want to overextend yourself. I, I, you know, I, I think 2020 has been a good case that uh, you, you've, I think has reinforced it. And, and hear me out for just a second. I, I felt like I pre-flop had some of my best bets of my entire life. And they went bust in games. You know, I'm playing against a team that's out without 20 guys. Half of them are starters. You know, Virginia Tech, NC State, I'm ahead of the line by nearly a touchdown. They got their quarterback out, their defensive coordinators out. I think I got one of my best plays in my life. And it's over by the end of the first quarter. I, I got a loser. So I think it's reinforced it. No matter how good your your, your preflop bet or whatever is, You don't want to over, you know, risk your bankroll on any play because anything can happen. Yeah, I
0: mean, like we've talked about, and and this sort of, you know, kind of brings it all full circle. Like we've talked about is all you can control is the number that you get. You know, once you submit that bet, it is completely out of your hands. Now, there are things you can do like playing back middles arbitrage, stuff like that, you know, live betting, maybe to kind of cut into it, stuff like that does come into the equation. And, you know, if something does break, you can play the other side, buy out part of it, stuff like that. But, you know, in a simplified way, when you make a bet, that's it. You get the best number that you can, and then you hope it works out in your favor. Or if some bad news breaks or something like that, you do what you can to mitigate that loss. But, you know, like you said, I mean, This is a a business subject to a ton of variance. And if you beat the variance, that's great. And one way you can try to do that is by beating the closing number, getting the best of the line that you can. But again, even the best, even the absolute best long-term 55, 56%, you will lose 44% of the time at a minimum in this business. So the last thing you want to do is sit there and say, man, I love this game. It's the best game I've ever seen. I don't know why this line is this way. Then you put 10% of your bankroll on it (laughs) and it falls in the 44% of the games that you lose. And it could be something where you've got a great handicap and a team goes minus three in turnover margin and you're just SOL as a result. So you you really want to make sure that, you know, however much of your bankroll you want to put in play in a weekend, that's totally up to you, but you don't want to have a bunch of 10% types of games
1: out there it's a grind
0: is, is that sucks, but it's a grind. It is what it is.
1: Definitely a marathon, not a sprint. And and you hit on a good one. A lot of times that I've found that, you know, that the handicap, everything lines up and it looks perfect. Usually uh, you know, maybe, maybe it is just so happens that it's the perfect handicap type of thing, but usually you're missing something. You're missing a piece of the puzzle because if you weren't, that line wouldn't be where it's at right now, especially if you're looking to bet later in the week. Uh, obviously the lines are softer early, but uh, this is a very good discussion. And the, the problem <laughs> that, that we run into is, you know, the, the people that are in fl- flooding into the marketplace it's almost like we're going in reverse. We're going back to the 80s and 90s where, you know, the the old school, uh, you know, sports advisors type of thing uh, where it's, you know, sell the house, sell the wife, sell the kids. I got the lock of the century. The problem with the industry, it's kind of moving back towards a little bit of that. The reality is there are no locks. There are no guarantees.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I mean, if, if you sit there and you're like, oh, this game's 10 points off of my number, your number is wrong. <laughs> yes. your, your number is wrong. Not the market's right. not. Yeah, right. And and it's not even. And when we say market, I mean, look, you know, this is kind of getting away from the bankroll management thing. But we talked about this. I think it was maybe two weeks ago. Early in the week, it's you against the book. Later in the week, it's you against everybody in the market because the market has shaped and molded that number where it should probably be. So if you're ten points off of a market number like Thursday or Friday. That's a problem. That's something that you need to fix. That's not game of the year, empty your bankroll material. That's, I don't have one of these teams or both of these teams accurately rated. And I mean, I guess to a degree, this is kind of an extension of bankroll management in the sense that, you know, you got to make responsible wagers. Even if you think something is off dramatically, you're not going to have, you know, a 10% edge in a game. It's just not going to happen. So, Again, you know, market entry comes into play with bankroll management, understanding when to get in on a game, understanding where that line's going to go, because bankroll management is like anything else in the sports betting business, trying to put yourself in the best position to succeed. And all of these parts need to be kind of working in harmony for you to have a chance at making money long term.
1: Absolutely. And I'm not going to say that you can't have a 10% edge because I feel like I do in some of my early week bets at Circa, the world openers when I'm betting against a bookmaker, but they kind of bankroll manage for you. I can't bet $20,000 on that perceived 10% that 60 plus percent bet that I think I have. I can only get 1, 000, 2, on a 1,000, maybe 2,000 on if it's a side. Uh, they kind of do that for you. If they open up the limits and allow you to bet whatever you want on a number, uh you you are, you don't have a 10% edge. Just just put it that way. I don't care who you are.
0: No, that's an excellent point. It, it really is. And, and and another element of bankroll management and something I held back from yesterday's show to talk about on today's show so that I could you know, express some fresh content here myself is that, and, and, you know, this is something I, I think a lot of people have problems grasping, especially, you know, in the olden days where you had a local or something like that. But now with more States that have sports books, another element of bankroll management is having multiple accounts is having the ability to yep. line shop. That is very, very important. Half points matter, full points matter, especially in a market as tight and efficient as the NFL. That's another part of bankroll management is you have to know that, you know, hey, I need to have an account here and an account there and maybe an account over there because you need to be able to line shop, get the best prices that you can. And as you start to develop a profile for these sports books, maybe you want 2000 at this book or a thousand at this book, because you feel like you're getting the better of the numbers at that one book. This is something in the offshore marketplace that we saw a ton, something that I think will probably develop in the, you know, the uh, legal U S betting market as well. Some books are tailored towards public players. Some books welcome more sharp action. Lines are different. If you want to play overs and favorites versus dogs and unders at different places, stuff like that. That's another part of bankroll management. That's really important is having the opportunity to line shop and having the opportunity to, you know, get the best of it wherever you can.
1: Absolutely. And I've never heard that from anyone before as far as it kind of having not all your money in one place. Very good. (laughs) Good idea on multiple fronts in this industry, not only because you can shop, but also. You know, you're not going to get overly confident in that one shop and you're not going to overexpose yourself just because you have it all in one place and that's where you want to put it. So spreading it out over multiple books is a great idea on multiple fronts. Never thought of it from the bankroll management aspect of things.
0: Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And again, this is another part like I talked about yesterday of, of being organized, of having your thoughts kind of put together, tracking yourself, tracking your bankrolls, stuff like that. And again, something else that we mentioned, and, and you know, you talked about this on how you can't really do anything about it with those circa world openers. But, you know, when we sit here and say two and a half, three percent, you know, maybe as much as five percent on a big play, keep in mind that if you're winning. Your bet size naturally goes up because you're using this percentage based system. So, yep. you know, don't hurt yourself if you're having a big college football season. Don't hurt yourself and say, Well, I'm a hundred dollar better. I'm going to keep betting a hundred dollars a game. If you're doing well and your bankroll allows for it, you can increase your bet size. And that's something that having a percentage will naturally do, it will increase your bet size when you're doing well and also be a system of checks and balances to decrease your bet size when things aren't going as well.
1: Absolutely. One of the best points you made is, you know, that's what percentages do. No matter what your bankroll is, it's keeping you confined. So bigger bankroll, yes, of course, your your overall size of your bets going to be bigger, but percentage-wise, it's going to remain the same. So I I like that point that you made there.
0: And there are years, and you know this as well as I do, (laughs) there are years where you just, maybe you don't have a handle on the market. You know, maybe things just aren't going your way or you think about it in in the context for me specifically of Major League Baseball the last few years going into the season. I have no idea how the baseball is going to play. I don't know if it'll be juiced, if it'll be dead, if it'll be, you know, if if park factors are going to change, stuff like that. I've had seasons where things just don't work out because I dig myself a big hole. I wind up adjusting a little bit too late, stuff like that. You think about the NFL this year and just the massive influx of scoring. If you're an under better, you like to play unders, which, you know, are very hard to do this year. You've gotten your ass handed to you early on in the season. And so, you know, there is always no matter how much you feel like you're prepared for a season, there's always some degree of uncertainty. And so, you know, keeping yourself in check a little bit makes a lot of sense across a variety of different platforms. And again, the thing about bankroll management, I think the biggest takeaway here for Cody and for our other listeners is that it's, it's like a living organism. It's always changing. It's always adapting. It's always evolving because you have control over your bankroll. You don't have control over what happens in a game. You have control over how you bet that game, what number you get, all those kinds of things. So It's something that I feel like you never want to just get complacent with, I think is the big takeaway.
1: Absolutely. Can I say one final thing? Absolutely. I I would say this also. Always set aside as far as your bankroll, always set aside what you can afford to lose. Uh, because chances are, you know, at one point, one season or one point you might lose it all. So always set aside, what can I afford to lose? If it all goes bust on me, if it, chances are, I have a really bad season, what can I afford to lose? Then you'll be okay. Yeah. not saying no, that, that's- that it's going to happen. That season is not going to say it's going to happen two years from now, but you're going to have that really, really bad season where, where maybe it does. What can you set aside? What can I afford to lose? Cause I mean, they call it gambling, not winning for a reason.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you, you don't want it to materially affect your life. You don't want it yes. to take away from paying bills or other obligations or stuff like that. And yeah, I mentioned on the show here before, you know, I mean, I, I don't live off of my betting. I live off of my content creation and all of that. You know, I, I bet what I feel like is a comfortable amount for me to not impact my day to day life. And I I have the luxury to do that because I have another source of income, much like most of our listeners do you know, for you, for Kyle, for, you know, all the guys that are kind of in our circle, you know, you do make a a pretty good chunk of your living off of betting on sports. So it's a little bit different for you in that regard. But for me, you know, I I bet what I feel comfortable with winning or losing, and it doesn't materially affect my ability to pay my mortgage or, you know, anything like that.
1: And you know, I get paid off my content and my pick side of things. It's not a hundred percent betting on my half. Uh, and for those people, and man, I didn't want to get on off on this tangent, but I will real quick, that are anti, you, you should only bet, you, you can't sell picks, you can't sell information. I can tell you this, into what we are moving towards the next 5, 10, 15 years, it's going to be very, very tough to make a living betting with how they're limiting sharper players. I mean, you cannot make a living if you're consistently being limited to you know less than 500 bucks, even on efficient, you know bigger markets.
0: Well, and not only that, but I mean, we've talked about this a lot, you know, and and a lot of credit full marks to the circa for being an originator for putting out those college football numbers, but there's a lot of copycatting going on. And, you know, in the legal U S sports betting landscape, we talk about shopping around for the best prices and you do have the opportunity to do that. But as this continues to move forward, there will be a lot of places that wind up with the exact same lines. stuff like that, they have similar line providers or whatever else. So, there's also that, you know, is that you're going to be limited in terms of what's actually available to bet in the market. You know, if, if you can get long gone, are the days really where you can get, you know, three, you know, minus three on one side, plus three and a half on another side. Maybe you push one and win one stuff like that. Yep. A lot of those things are just long gone. Now in the marketplace, there are times where you can still arbitrage, you know, money line sports like baseball or something like that, but you know, how often do you get the chance to play on both sides of a key number or, you know, on both sides of a key number later in the week? You used to be able to do that all the time. Now yeah. you really can't. So there's also that element to it, too, where it, it is tough to make a living betting on sports. It's hard enough to win, let alone beat the current environment that we're in.
1: Yeah, and for all those people that were around in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, I mean, that didn't even bother handicapping. They just walked from one property to the other right on the Vegas Strip and even on NFL late in the week, be able to play on key numbers, you know, late three, take two and a half t- type of thing. Uh, those people preaching uh, to me about, you know, selling picks and info, I mean, I would love to take a time machine and DeLorean back to those days and I, c- I could be right there with them. Those days of being able to do that – are over with if you're a winner and you're a consistent winner you get thrown out you get limited so i mean what are you what are you to do in this day and age
0: it's tough it definitely is and again i mean we're, we're not really talking to our you know target demographic here of listeners with, with some of this stuff because a lot of our listeners i'm sure are you know 25 50 100 few hundred yeah. dollar betters. but you know still i mean again i mean it just it all filters into this bankroll management discussion because you start thinking about the sports books their level of exposure you know these kinds of things what numbers are they actually able to give you if you want to play something contrarian something like that you know it's the, the industry is always evolving and and you know god willing we'll get a betting exchange in the US at some point because uh, th- <laughs> that would be great yes but you know i mean for right now you do what you can you do you you make as good of a dish as you can with all the ingredients that you have it's basically the way that I would kind of talk about, you're the chef, you know, you, you can take the ingredients you have and maybe you can cook with them. Maybe you can't, but you, you got to figure it out because you have a finite amount of things in front of you that you can control and you try to figure out the best way to apply those things. And I think that, you know, bankroll management is just such a big part of the equation that again, nobody's talking about, you know, we, you and I go on rants pretty much every week on this show. We had one, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, You know, just sort of talking about how everything is picks, 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 picks. We just want picks. We just want picks. And you're going to wind up with a scenario where people don't know what to do with their bankrolls. They're going to find somebody who they enjoy listening to or somebody who's on a run. They're going to put 20% of their bankroll on a game. It's going to lose. And then they're going to get pissed off. And I think it's really important to have these more maybe philosophical, I guess I would call them discussions about betting, because a lot of people are getting into this that don't know what the hell they're doing. And those are the people that I worry about. And so I think talking about bankroll management and market entry and the mental side of handicapping and these things we've talked about the last few weeks are very, very important.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. I also like you, uh, you know, using example food as an example. I, I think that fits your brand. Call, about, you, you call know, me fat. Gamble. You nah, call I'm me fat, joking, man. I'm I'm the one that got Fascid. fat out in Vegas. Are you kidding me? Put on like fifty pounds. But I'm just saying, you putting gambling and comparing it to a chef and, and putting it all in your pot. But that was on brand for you. Let's just put it that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I didn't want to go down a rabbit hole talking about the ingredients of IPAs or <laughs> comparing, comparing bourbons or anything like that. I'll I'll stick with food. Everybody kind of uh, gets the food references, but. any event here, speaking of food, maybe some pizza bets on tonight's game in the Sunbelt, Georgia State, Arkansas State 105-106. Pretty good Sunbelt game last night with Coastal Carolina and Louisiana Coastal outright against the late money that came in on that game. What about tonight? We're seeing some threes out there in the marketplace on Arkansas State when this one was four and a half and five earlier in the week.
1: Yeah, I'd lay the three now with Arkansas State. I'd even lay three and a half if you can't find a three. And to me, I, just, I I will say this. I will plead some ignorance on Georgia State. They haven't watched a lot of their game film. They've only played two games so far. They've looked pretty good. They've looked apart so far in two games, forcing uh, Louisiana Lafayette to overtime, although I think ULL is overrated this year. Uh, they just haven't been uh, outside the Iowa State game, ha- haven't looked li- like an overall, you know, I would say, easily the best team in the Sun Belt, at least up, up there with App State. Uh, Georgia State, then beat East Carolina, but again, only two games. I got four-game sample size with Arkansas State so far this season, so I've seen a little bit more of them. And here's what I have seen in the last 10 years. Arkansas State's got one of the sneaky, good home field advantages all in college football. I mean, they're 44-10 and 10 straight up at home the last decade, and they're 57% against the spread at home the last decade. So I, I disagree with the – you know, I, I agreed with the early money as far as a pure power rating. I got it like three and a half, four, but – uh, man, if you can tell me I can lay three with, the, I feel as a superior Arkansas State team, that's the bet I got to make. Pizza, though. Pizza.
0: Yeah, I, I got this one five. So I was right there on the opener. I'm a little bit surprised to see it move against me. But like you, you know, maybe I haven't seen enough of Georgia State to make that necessary yeah. adjustment, Uh, you know, to the Panthers here. And, you know, when I look at Arkansas State, And this is always an interesting topic of conversation with these standalone games. And we're going to get a lot of action during the week. I think we're getting some Mountain West games on Thursday night as well. From what I remember about the schedule that they came up with, people want to bet the team that's familiar to them. And Arkansas State has been a very good Sunbelt team, a pretty good group of five team. They've had, you know, some very quality coaches go through there. You think about the guys that kind of used it as a one-year springboard, like a Hugh Freeze, for example. They've had some guys that have kind of come through there, done one year and gone on to bigger jobs. Blake Anderson's been there for a while, but the program has remained consistent. And Georgia State is a team that, you know, they're very Jekyll and Hyde year in and year out. They're very inconsistent football team for the most part. So I'm kind of surprised to see that we haven't seen a whole lot of buyback on the Red Wolves, or at least the indication of what public money can do in such a heavily bet standalone game. It's been the sharp money on Georgia State that has stood out. I wonder if this one goes back up a little bit throughout the day, uh, much like that Coastal Carolina-Louisiana game did yesterday.
1: I think it will go back up. Keep in mind, no NFL Thursday night game. So when people get off of work, they want to bet the game of the night, and and for the first time in forever – It's not going to be a bigger college football game. It's not going to be an NFL Thursday night game. They're going to be forced to bet a game where they probably don't even though people that are more familiar with the industry know Arkansas state, a lot of these Joe public betters couldn't tell you uh, what the mascots of these two teams are, let alone players or whatnot. So they're going to want to bet the team that's favored because that's what they want to bet. So if I, if I were to say, Hey, you want to enter in the market at a good price? I think the, the three, three minus and a half and a half on Arkansas state is the lowest. You're going to see it. I only anticipate it to go up.
0: And again, I mean, that's another element of bankroll management. Quite frankly, it's, it's a standalone Thursday night game. There's no NFL people are going to bet it, but you know, un- unless you're really familiar with these two teams, keep in mind that, you know, you're kind of taking something of a leap of faith here. So, you know, make a smaller bet, uh, to say the least. I guess would be yes. kind of my takeaway from this one.
1: And when we say pizza bets, you know, a dinner bet. You know, tw- you know, if you're normally betting a hundred bucks on a unit, uh, you know, a hundred bucks is maybe your one percent. Maybe it's a twenty dollar type of bet. You want to have action. You want a little bit uh, of extra excitement in the game. That's what we mean by pizza bet.
0: Yeah, you know, happy hour, happy hour dinner prices. Yeah. I guess there I would say that.
1: Not, not like, not like a steakhouse.
0: Not like. Uh, no. You know, not like some of the fine establishments out there in Vegas. Now, let's go to Friday's game here. Uh, Well, Friday's couple of games. I guess we could touch on BYU Houston real quickly in a minute, even though we did a highlight video on that game yesterday uh, on ATS radio. We did not talk about game 107, 108 SMU and Tulane SMU six point favorite. There are still some six and a halves out there as well. Total has dropped quite dramatically on this game from the upper 60s to the mid 60s here. 64 half, 65, the prevailing number. Interesting to see a little bit of Tulane money and some under money in this one for you.
1: No, I, and I'm not saying, oh, I'm not surprised by anything. They're always, they're, you know, the market's going to move towards my power rating type of thing, but. Uh, I think it opened a little bit higher because I don't think people realize the extent of the injuries that SMU lost two of their best offensive playmakers, TJ McDaniel, who splits the running back uh, reps. He's a starter. He's probably the more consistent guy, just not as flashy as Bentley, their other running back, and then more pertinent as far as to the spread. Reggie Roverson for SMU is one of the better group of five wide receivers in the entire country in his last game had 250 yards and about three quarters against Memphis, you know, came up lame uh, as far as a knee injury, he had a knee injury last year and uh, he's going to be out for the year. And both guys out for the year. So I think what you, if you're a power ratings guy like myself, you got to drop SMU's power rating almost two points. I know it's a not two non-quarterbacks, but two vi- very good uh, key guys for them, and that, that's why I think some money's coming in on Tulane. I can't, although right now at the current numbers, I don't have a bet here. I can't trust Tulane. You want to talk? I mean, we're getting to Halloween. You you want to talk about Jekyll and Hyde? Check out every single one of Tulane's four games this year. They have either come from behind by double digits and won the game outright, or they have blown double-digit leads in two of the games. So they got two double-digit come-from-behind wins, two double-digit blown leads. I mean, the case example is the Navy game, up 24-0, lose the game 27-24. I can't get a good feel for Tulane. This is only in-game live betting uh, for me.
0: Yeah, and also for SMU, I mean, they lost James Prochet, who was a 1,200 yard receiver last year. They lost Xavier Jones, their running back, 1,200 yard rusher. Now they lose Roberson and the backup to to Jones. So, you know, this is now a situation where SMU really digging deep into their depth. And this is a team that, quite frankly, needs to score points to win. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're not a great defensive team, they haven't been for a long period of time. I still think, I mean, my number here is eight and a half. I did not account for those injuries, so I'm more like six and a half here. If I had to play it, I'd go SMU. But again, you know, just because it's a standalone, not a standalone, but just because it's a Friday night game, you don't have to play it. So if there's no edge to be had, you don't have to do anything pre flop. As you said, maybe a live betting opportunity, especially with the in game situation for Tulane and how they've been kind of all over the place in that regard. One other game Friday night, BYU Houston, 109, 110. Five is the market number, 62-63, the totals that we're seeing out there. Interesting line movement on this game. Houston got hit very early in the week, Sunday night into Monday. Then BYU money came back with authority a little bit after that. And now this line's kind of settled in a little bit.
1: It has, but I'm stunned by the line because I have been three, four points lower in the market on BYU in the their past couple of games, and I didn't. I adjusted them, but not significantly. After the UTS game, where UTSA game, where they almost lost outright as a five touchdown favorite, so I downgraded them, but not as much as what I anticipated the market. So I thought for sure that I would still be lower on BYU than the market this week, at least by a couple of points. I fully expected this line to come seven, seven and a half, and I would have a Houston bet just never got there. So again, I I hate to say another standalone game where I don't have a, you know, here's my lock. Here's my pick of the night. Here's, you know, uh, the bet you need to make. I don't, again, I don't have one. If it gets to six, I I think I'll take a little bit of Houston. I think BYU is going to struggle with Houston speed, something that they haven't overly seen so far this season, but uh, stunned that that the number is not higher. My line's eight and a half on this game. So I, you know, I certainly expected it to be higher. We talked about it yesterday on the
0: show when it went down to three. You know, there was some pretty good value at that point, I believe, uh, in BYU. Houston has one data point and and Tulane maybe isn't very good. I mean, we kind of saw that last week. They were what, plus five in turnover margin and, and still gave up 49 points. So yeah. maybe Tulane just sucks. On the other hand, BYU has not played anybody that's been very good to this point. And like you said, that upgrade in speed is something that we'll have to watch with BYU see if they're prepared for this type of game I think maybe you kind of look at the derivative markets for this one if you think BYU is going to struggle at the outset maybe you go ahead and take Houston first half Houston first quarter something like that and then maybe BYU gets into the flow of the game because I do think they're the better team as my power rating obviously suggests maybe you take BYU second half live at a cheaper number something like that I think this is one for in game betting because you've got this BYU team that's played a lot against this Houston team that hasn't, but both teams stepping up in class.
1: Then obviously, Houston's going to have to clean up the turnovers. Uh, BYU is not too lame. Uh, if they have five turnovers, they're not going to win and they're going to get blown out. Although I will say this I upgraded Houston significantly because they overcame this. And, and uh, Ralph Michaels, who used to be on your show, uh, you, you know, had a great tweet on this. If you are minus five in turnovers and you're favored prior to last week's Houston Tulane game, you were one and 90, one and 90 against the spread. If you were favored and minus five turnovers in a game and yet Houston overcame that to win and cover with margin against Tulane. So I think Houston could be a, a very good team this year.
0: Well, and to circle back to the bankroll management thing again, massive outlier outcome where yeah. if you you play Tulane and you're plus five in turnover margin, you think you're sitting pretty, and they give up almost a 50-burger and lose by 15. So, again, it speaks to what we're saying about bankroll management of anything can happen, especially in college football, which can be you know a very, very high-variance environment.
1: Yeah, and if you would have gave me – I wouldn't have had to look at any stat. If you would have told me, hey, Tulane's going to be plus five turnovers tonight – uh, I woulda, you know, I wouldn't have followed bankroll management advice. If you'd have gave me that stat, let me lay one ten uh, and, and taken Tulane at the number that they were pre-flop, I w- I would have went twenty, you know, twenty percent type of bet if I knew they were going to be plus five turnovers because I knew how much you know my chances of, of winning were. But it just goes to show you. There are no locks. There are what no was, guarantees.
0: What was Duke last week? Minus six in turnovers, and My, they outgained Syracuse by 350 yards? Minus
1: four. Minus, minus
0: four. They had six no. turnovers. They were minus four. Yeah. I mean, it's another one. Like, they well, scored 38 like points year. with six they, turnovers.
1: Mean, they, they've, Duke's been like that all year. If they just figure out some point this season to stop turning the damn ball over, I think they are a great value bet.
0: Is Chase Bryce colorblind? Is that what it is? I,
1: I don't know. It doesn't matter. He must be.
0: He can't I throw mean, the... the. I don't know, oh, man. I It's bad. It's cr- I don't remember Cutcliffe ever having a quarterback that was that turnover prone.
1: But he doesn't. He's the quarterback whisperer for the last 15. Well, I mean, 15 years. So let's go back 25 years. He was Peyton Manning's quarterback coach at Tennessee.
0: Let's talk about the ACC in general here, because a lot of these games are at the top of the board on Saturday by rotation number. You got Boston college and Vot This one's going up Vot Now a 12 point favorite total 62 big money on Miami up to 14 with Kenny Pickett, very questionable yeah. for Pitt. totals come down on that game to 47 and a half Duke and NC state, two teams that have been all over the map so far, NC state four, four and a half, uh, Virginia, They're taking out Wake Forest, and Wake Forest taking a little bit of money there, that's significant because I don't think a lot of people liked Wake Forest coming into the year, but they're taking the money at home in that game, moving off of a key number. That's a very sharp play there on Wake Forest. North Carolina's a big favorite against Florida State, not a surprise. Clemson, big favorite against Georgia Tech. But overall in the ACC this year, Brad, not a whole lot of defense, a ton of inconsistency, a shitload of turnovers. I don't know if I have played an ACC game yet this year.
1: Really, I that's don't know surprising. If I oh, I I seem to have a ton of ACC plays. Almost, I would say almost my whole card this week is ACC. I can tell. I, I mean, I'm an open book. I played Duke, NC State over, NC State. They do not. The market does not have a handle on, on NC State's new offensive coordinator. Uh, they're four and to the over got fortunate last week, but again, how fortunate could you be? You cash an over in a game played in weather. So I'll take that frenzy. Stay four and to the over and Duke. I, when I make an over bet, I want to know, are you running pace? And I get it. Duke is consistently turning it over, and that's terrible for, for betting the over. But they ran 100 plays last week. Duke is running plays. And if they just have a sum instead of turning over four or five times, they just turn it over twice in a game. I mean, they they have no issues moving the football. So I, I did bet Duke NC State over as long as the weather's good there. I still think there's value at over 60.
0: Well, and that Boston College-Virginia Tech game, my number on that game is 12, so it has moved towards my number. But I talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show. This is a dramatically different Boston College team than what we're used to seeing. They can't run the football. They cannot protect the quarterback. Their offensive line must be really, really bad, or they're struggling to adjust to the new protection schemes with a brand-new coaching staff. But that's a line move that I agree with. I mean, I think Virginia Tech has looked, outside of getting – you know, torched last week by a very good North Carolina offense. Virginia Tech has impressed the hell out of me. And I think that's a game where maybe the market kind of, or I guess the odds makers, I should say, kind of fell victim to, you know, Boston College beating Pitt and Virginia Tech getting run off the field by North Carolina. Virginia Tech still moved the ball. Hendon Hooker got to play in that game, which was pretty nice to see for them. I think that that's a spot where the market kind of overreacted Two last week's results, two last week's outcomes. I completely agree with Votek going up in that game.
1: I think you got a, a winner there. I, not, I might say that might be your most comfortable win, and yet I'm going to say this. I'm not on it, and here's why. I have faded Boston College against Duke. Got my ass handed to me that one. Duke turned it over, obviously, in that game. I faded Boston College against North Carolina, and Boston College almost won the damn game outright. And I faded Boston College last week. Bet Pitt uh, at a good number at Circa and lost my ass on that one. I'm done, man. Three strikes, I'm out, uh, which – means probably now is the time to play against Boston College after I just lost three straight times. So I'm telling you, you probably have a winner there, but I'm not betting it. I'm tired of losing against this BC team. Statistically, they look awful, but I mean, somehow they, they, they're winning. They're covering.
0: I uh, I faded Russell Wilson three weeks in a row in the Circa. I didn't do it last weekend against Minnesota. Still went 5-0, uh, and oh, so I'm not complaining. I mean, that's – Damn, what is your record
1: that. if you're 5-0 and oh last week? You're uh, up
0: there. 16-8-1. That's 16, eight and one. I'm five points off the lead and like three and a half points out of the money. Those things are insane. Um, But I, I, I I got gun shy, not fading Russell Wilson again, even though, you know, the spot certainly seemed to make sense. Sharp money was on Minnesota, so on and so forth. So, that's the tough part, man. You know, how many times you keep going back to the well when a team has burned you. And, and I think with Boston College, I think it's, it's perfectly fair for you to go ahead and uh, stay off of that one with a lot of other opportunities here <laughs> yeah. on the card for Saturday. One of those opportunities is we do a highlight video here on game 123-124, Auburn and South Carolina. The interesting one for me, I am a South Carolina fan by marriage. I will throw that out at the top of this uh, little highlight video here. But Auburn, a three-point road favorite going to williams Bryce Total on this one has gone up, interestingly enough, 49.5 to as high as 52 out there in the market, Brad. What do you think about this one here with the Gamecocks, a short home underdog?
1: I like South Carolina, and I like South Carolina outright in this game. But it's more of a fade against Auburn. A team that I don't think is very good. And keep in mind, Auburn's sitting at 2-1. and one, They could very easily be 0-3 so far this season. They're getting out-gained by nearly 100 yards per game. Go back to the opener. Benefited from several Kentucky turnovers, including the one right before the half that basically took a touchdown off the board for Kentucky. That's a completely different game if they score there. You go to the second game. It's 24-3 Georgia, 20 minutes into the game. And then I thought Georgia took the foot off the gas pedal in the second half. That easily, if Georgia wanted to win by five touchdowns, Georgia could have beaten Auburn by five touchdowns a couple weeks ago. And then last week, I mean, my my power rating said Auburn was my strongest play of the week. Market totally against Auburn in that game. And I was dead. My power rating dead wrong. I mean, Arkansas probably should have beaten Auburn outright as a two-touchdown underdog. On top of it, Auburn's banged up. I mean, this is an injury that, that's not going to move the market much, but I think it should. Their middle linebacker, Kenny Britt, one of the top two, top three linebacker in the SEC, he is the quarterback of the defense. He is out for a significant period of time. Williams, the wide receiver, is banged up. One of their better defensive ends, banged up. Bo Nix has been inconsistent. What's been consistent for me, and I know they're not a sexy team, a sexy pick, but they have pretty much played to expectation. South Carolina lost by four against Tennessee game could have went either way. They could have won that game fell right, right on the number. As far as they had a pick
0: six, they gave up a pick six in that game. Exactly.
1: They could have beaten Tennessee. I think Tennessee's okay. Probably similar to this Auburn team. Uh, they went into Florida, lost by two touchdowns. They're at the goal line lay. They punch that and they lose by seven at Florida. That would be a good performance. And I get it. Vanderbilt sucks. They're playing with one arm tied behind their back last week. But guess what? South Carolina do what they're supposed to do. They crushed Vanderbilt. So I like South Carolina, particularly in the underdog role, which is where Must Champ typically wins money. Sixty-five percent the last three and a half years as a dog. Yeah, South Carolina is one of my favorite plays of the week. Bet at three and a half. Still like it at three. I think they went out right. Oh, I like it. I like it. It's a
0: strong opinion there. I actually don't have a strong opinion on this game. That worries me. But
1: but I did want to talk more South Carolina football than any public guy I know. Yeah, well, I I really haven't been
0: able to watch too much of them here so far. And, well, I have watched Auburn. And, you know, Auburn, my power rating on this game is six and a half. And I guess I've been too slow to adjust to Auburn. Uh, The injuries in particular – Uh, Bo Nix. I just I don't think he's the guy. But again, Auburn is one of those teams. I've talked about teams like this at multiple points, multiple junctures throughout this season and past seasons. They recruit so well that I give them the benefit of the doubt to figure things out because the talent is there. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. And I'm probably slow to react on teams like that. And Auburn is one of them here for this season. So I'm not taking the Tigers in this game. Bo Nix For whatever reason, has massive home road splits. I don't know if that's a big factor here with, you know, decreased crowd size and and all those types of things. But I don't think he's very good. And Auburn's got those big injuries. And the one I like, you mentioned the Brit injury, and I like that. And I think it's something that didn't get factored into the market to, you know, compare to the NFL. It did not get factored into the market in the Buffalo, Tennessee game this week on Tuesday night. Matt Milano is an awesome linebacker, and he's not just a good run stopper, he's an excellent coverage linebacker. And when you look at all the offenses that these teams are running now in college and the NFL, Texas routes for the linebackers, swing routes, option stuff, all these types of things, linebackers that can cover and can stop the run should create adjustments in the market with the way the game is currently being played. So I think highlighting that injury is a very important thing. I'm glad you did it here today. Again, from a power rating standpoint, my numbers say Auburn. I'm not playing Auburn. Uh, I think that you're on the right track there with South Carolina.
1: I hope so. Uh but uh we'll we'll see. <laughs> uh it does worry me that uh you're not on a strong opinion because I value your South Carolina opinion uh more often than not, but I I, I finally made that big time downgrade to, to Auburn's power rating uh here not only because of the Brit injury but uh also I mean, just they haven't looked apart in any three games. Three games now at this point in the season is enough of a sample size that we kind of have an idea of what you are as a football team.
0: Yeah, and, and last week what I did, I made the adjustment to Arkansas and I didn't fully make it to Auburn. And nope. I, w- I had to adjust both. And that's the thing about power ratings and creating your own numbers is you know, trying to figure out, okay, I'm off market on this game. How much do I move team A? How much do I move team B? And in this case, Auburn being team B, I didn't move them down enough, but rest assured if they don't look the part here this week in Columbia, then I will make a substantial adjustment to the tigers to say the least. So we do these highlight videos here on ATS radio. Make sure you check them out over on our ATS YouTube page and make sure you subscribe to all of our editions of ATS radio, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. As we look down the rest of the board here, Brad, anything else that kind of stands out before we take a look at Georgia and Alabama?
1: Uh, you know what? I mean, I can tell you one other bet that I made ACC. I, I made two bets. I am part of the sharp money on the Wake Forest. Uh, Virginia's quarterback, Armstrong, uh, hasn't been practicing this week. I, I don't think that's factored in the line, even at the two and a half number. So I, I think you got to downgrade Virginia a couple points there. Wake Forest, good spot for them coming off a bye. So I did like Wake Forest. The other dog that I played, and I know people are going to roll their eyes, but I, I'm playing against Notre Dame. Uh, and... I don't think Notre Dame's, they haven't played anybody yet. If you look and you go through their schedule, their, their teams are a combined 1-10 against FBS teams so far this season. Duke, Florida State, South Florida. So there's that. And I've been impressed with their defense. They lost a lot of key guys from last year. And I think Louisville's the type of team. Turnovers has been the story, again, for this Louisville team. And if they just clean it up a little bit, a lot of backdoor potential there, getting a half 17 number. So I did take Louisville.
0: Yeah, I like that one at 17. I think my line's 15 and a half on that game. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit on yesterday's show about how much of a disappointment Louisville's been. I oh, thought yeah. they'd be good. I thought they would be the second best team in that Atlantic division by a pretty decent margin, uh, and they just have not been. And, and I don't know why. I don't Turnovers know Turnovers
1: what... are minus eight.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big part of it. So, I mean, is their defense bad, or is it just a field a position?
1: thing. Yeah, no defense is bad, and you would expect them not to have the gaffes that they've had. But I mean, there's miscommunications. I remember Miami just had walk in touchdowns. We're talking 50, 60 yard touchdowns. That I mean, you and I could have ran into the end zone on a few of them. That's how wide open guys were. So there's a little bit of that defense not meeting expectations. And look, they got elite guys at skill position. And the guys have disappointed. Uh, I mean, they're running backs, putting the ball on the turf a couple times last week, led to a couple of Georgia Tech turn, uh, touchdowns. I mean, the disappointment on their main guys. And then defense hasn't stepped up this year. So I agree. I would say they're one of the biggest, uh, they most disappointing teams in the entire country this year. But I'm okay with that. Give me the, give me the value. At 0-3 in the ACC, I think they're due for at least a, a decent performance. Not saying they're going to win, but I think they can cover specifically that 17 number. I want to make sure we
0: got some decent time for the NFL without making you stay on the line here with me too long, but I got to ask about UCF and Memphis 149, nine, one fifty. big game, not getting a lot of run because UCF has that loss. Memphis has had a very inconsistent schedule to this point yeah. because of all their COVID issues and stuff like that. But I mean, in, in a regular season, I mean, this game's getting all kinds of fanfare, even with a week that would feature Georgia and Alabama, but this one, not a lot of people talking about it with UCF, three with extra juice or three and a half and a total up in the mid seventies.
1: Yeah. I mean, my number's two and a half, uh, so I lean central Florida also central Florida remarkably has won 13 straight times in this series. So they have had Memphis's number. Keep in mind, four of those have come recently. Uh, you know, they beat Memphis, you know, a couple times in one single season, beating them in the regular season, beating them in the AAC championship. So for whatever reason, they have Memphis's number, I just haven't seen enough of Memphis, only a couple games. you uh, has been a disappointment. They've just been sloppy. They got a couple games with 15-plus penalties in that individual game. Lean Central Florida, and hell, I'll be square. I'll, I'll lean over. I think that's a cheap 73-and-a-half for two teams. They're going to run a hell of a lot of pace.
0: Yeah, that's one I'd have to check and see the weather report. And, again, yep. you know, we talk about this all the time. The deeper we get into the fall – the more you want to be checking those weather reports to see if, you know, they're kind of a catalyst for an under uh, or something like that. My line on this game's five. So, I mean, you know, at this point, I'm not really getting a ton of equity. Three minus 15 is not a bad play to take on UCF. But again, I, I don't know what UCF is. I don't know what Memphis is. You know, I see money coming in on Tulsa this week who beat UCF. So is that an indicator of Tulsa? Is that an indicator of UCF? You know, I think it's kind of tough to sort of figure out that transitive property of college football here so far all with all the craziness that we've had. But you would think that we got a pretty good handle on both of these teams. So you would think that this number is probably pretty fair, pretty accurate. The fact that we haven't seen a whole lot of movement suggests the same. If I had to do anything, I guess it'd be UCF. But uh, it is a bummer that, you know, we don't know more about these two teams because you know these are two very, very exciting group of five programs.
1: Yeah, easily two of the top three, four Group of Five programs at least going right now, but a lot of luster gone. I mean, it's it, you're one and done in, in the Group of Five. You lose a game, you got no shot to the playoffs. So these two teams was unbeaten, this game would get a hell of a lot more play. Probably be, you mentioned it, outside of Alabama, Georgia, both these teams were unbeaten. We have played a typical season where we're five, six games into it. This might, might be the second most important game uh, of this week outside of Alabama, Georgia.
0: Well, let's go ahead and do a highlight video here of the most important game of the week on ATS radio for Georgia and Alabama, 165, 166. This line opened six, then Nick Saban got COVID and the line came down to three and a half or four. My number on the game is six. And I guess the starting point here would be how much should Nick Saban actually impact this line?
1: A point, maybe, uh, Again, this is an individual game, individual week. I don't think coaches are worth that much on an individual week, individual game basis where they're they're worth is recruiting off season game planning. And guess what? He's going to be part of the game plan. I mean, uh, it's not like, you know, uh, he left the team. He's still part of it. So a point at, at most, if he was completely removed from the program, Uh, maybe I would say it's worth a little bit more. He just wasn't there. He's still, it's Nick Saban. He still, he was doing a zoom call at practice uh, the other day. He's just not going to be on the sidelines for the game. So again, a point to me, the market is overreacted in this instance. Uh, I I would say the value right now, according to at least me would be Alabama minus the four.
0: And I, I guess maybe you could make a case that. There was an over adjustment on the expectation that, I mean, Nick Saban's around the team every day. Maybe yep. some additional COVID cases are coming. Yes. But, but, I mean, to me, I think that's a bridge that you cross when you get to it. I mean, at this point, if you can find three and a half or a cheap four on Alabama, you got to take it. I mean, as well as Georgia has played, as many holes as you can poke into Alabama's resume, I don't know if Georgia's there. I don't know if Stetson Bennett is there against an Alabama defense that, yeah, they gave up a ton of points and yards last week, but Ole Miss is a hard offense to play against. They've got two mobile quarterbacks. They run a ton of pre-snap motion. They like to run with tempo. Georgia is a lot more conservative of an offense, and I think that's something that ultimately fits right into what Alabama does well defensively. So I think, you know, schematically, this is a much different game for the Alabama defense. I give them a much better chance here in this game. Watch Georgia go run up 500 yards on them or something. But I do think schematically it is a better fit for them. Now, I guess the second question here would be, like I just talked about, Georgia's looked apart, Alabama has not. How much has that kind of factored in, you think, to the perception of this game and the idea that Georgia's probably going to be a very public underdog here?
1: Yeah, I think it's played into it, but I, I think it's already built in the line. I mean, if you were looking at game of the year lines, I mean, Alabama's probably seven or eight in, in this game, uh, and that's pretty much where my power rings are. So, again, I think that's already factored in the line that Alabama's been a little disappointment. Georgia's exceeded expectations a little bit. You hit on so many good points. If you are to tell me, hey, the adjustment is the expectation of not only saving that coaching, but also, hey, like you said, he's around the team. Maybe we're going to get more cases I understand that going to four, but we haven't gotten to that yet. And by all intents and purposes, at least we would know that because I think the line would continue to drop and more Bama players are going to test positive. I think you hit the nail on the head as far as matchup wise. Georgia is a less conservative than what they've been the last couple of years. They're a little bit more wide open with Todd Monken's offense this year. But I mean, Alabama's personnel is better than Auburn's and Tennessee. So we'll see. And my main factor of handicap here is you look at the teams. You've needed one of two things to beat Alabama under Nick Saban in the last 12 years, however long it's been. One, you need elite quarterback play. So, I mean, you look at the who – it's a who's who of college football quarterbacks last 15 years who have been able to beat Alabama. Tim Tebow, Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow last year, Heisman caliber players – Georgia doesn't have it five foot 11 sets at Bennett. He's a great story. He's nowhere near what uh, those guys were. Or if you don't have elite quarterback play, you need a lot of fluky shit to happen. Well, it's a kick six against Auburn. It's last year's Auburn game where they have a couple of non-offensive touchdowns. You're going to need to create something more offensively. And I'm not sure that Georgia will. Uh, Therefore, again, that I wasn't going to have a bet really on the game, but now that it's four, I mean, I, I'm in the position, regardless of the Saban thing, you take that out of it, I would lay four with Bama, I'd take seven with Georgia, and right now it's four, I'm going to lay it with Alabama. Well,
0: and I hope you have it in front of you, I don't know if you do, but there's also the stat about former Saban assistants, and how they have just... 21 <laughs> Yeah, they don't fare well against Nick nah. Saban. They cannot beat the master. And maybe this week it happens with an asterisk, of course, because people will put one on there since Saban's yep. not on the sideline. But yeah, uh, 21 and 0. I mean, I, to me personally, I think you have to have an expectation that Georgia can win this game outright to bet them on the spread. I think you have to sit there and think, OK, the Bulldogs can win this game. And if you don't think that that's possible, then you have no business betting them at four, four and a half, or really even six where the numbers started.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely.
0: So... I don't. I guess we'll see how this one plays out. And of course, fingers crossed that none of the uh, key Alabama players or you know, any of the Alabama players... Yeah,
1: I want to see this one played. I mean, we've been waiting yeah. for a really marquee matchup in college football. and uh, you know, the, Outside of the health concerns and whatnot, I'm disappointed Saban's not going to be on the sidelines. I mean, I really wanted to see a big-time college football game. And now, like you mentioned, there's going to be a little bit of an asterisk. And, and now it almost feels like we're going to have to wait a few more weeks uh, for, for another big game. But I hope it's well played. I hope Alabama covers the four. But I I just for the overall health of college football, I hope it's a a decent enough game. Gets a big TV rating.
0: Yeah, I I hope it's the spotlight that it deserves to be. And and that the spotlight doesn't become, you know, COVID and and all the other stuff that's happening here in 2020. But speaking of spotlights, we do these spotlight videos here on our ATS YouTube page from our editions of ATS radio. And we encourage you to check out the full broadcasts of the podcast on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you stream and download your podcast content.
1: Real quickly. One second. Go ahead. I I want for those that want to be, you know, professional radio guys, podcast, Adam's done this twice. Now his transitions are elite where he takes the word spotlight moves it in, in the spotlight video, moves along, moves us along in the podcast. Just for you taking notes at home, like I know you're taking notes as far as the handicaps and the picks go, uh, take a note on how good this guy is as a, as a host. Cause it's uh, in our industry. It's really good.
0: I appreciate the, uh, the brownie points there after you called me fat earlier in the show.
1: Right. Thank <laughs> hey, you. I'm fair, honest <laughs> and fair.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much, man. All right, let's transition uh, over to the NFL side of things here where we talked about this a little bit yesterday, so I want to get your thoughts on it here too because you mentioned to me uh, before we started recording here that there are quite a few things you like in the NFL market for this week. A lot of games hovering around key numbers. You know, Chicago and Carolina was around a key number. Now it's not with Carolina having some COVID worries and, and all those types of things, but a lot of other games in that three and four range so does that make it easier for you to handicap the NFL or a little bit more difficult?
1: I think easier. Uh, I mean, I just struggle. I mean, a lot of games here recently been around seven. And for the first time ever last year, seven was more key than three. It fell on seven more than three. First time in like 40-some years uh, of NFL as far as the databases go back. So I guess I am more comfortable right around three, um, especially if it was a normal season and it was normal three for home field advantage. It would be really easier for me because it's just basically telling you what team the market perceives to be better or not among, you know, being very simple one-on-one. But yeah, I mean, to me, unlike college, I the market's more efficient. So half points matter so much more. A point matters so much more in the NFL, especially around a key number. So to me, it's kind of my wheelhouse. Man, I, you know, I don't mind laying three, taking three and a half, it's just, I don't know, it's something that I've grown up accustomed to in NFL handicapping and betting. It's in, certainly in my wheelhouse.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. The one thing I will say that that is pretty interesting here um, is that, you know, now you've got a lot of these games around three and four where you used to have totals 46, 47, mm, something point. like that. Now you've got totals 53, 54, you know, 52 up in that range. So it, it sort of makes me wonder here about, you know, the value of three and a half versus three in a game that has, you know, higher scoring expectations, stuff like that. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that you kind of wonder about the evolution of the NFL. And, and I kind of talked about this with, uh, with Rob Pozzola, who does uh, every other week for the Matchbook Football Podcast. And he does a Periscope on Sundays. One of my favorite follows on Twitter. I think he's a, a brilliant betting mind. But I sent him a message and I'm like, you know, You think about totals, you think about teasing through that two and a half to eight and a half corridor, the Stanford Wong teasers. You know, now is it one of those things where with totals in the 50s all the time are six and seven more important now? You know, as five become a more important number, 10, 11, you know, Mm. those getting to be more important numbers. Not, you know, in a traditional handicapping sense, but when you start talking about games around key numbers, you start talking about teasers and the implication of moving teams up, moving teams down six points, stuff like that. It's just, it's a different kind of environment now where we used to see threes and three and a halves in 45, 46, 47 totals. Now they're in the low to mid fifties. And I sort of wonder you know, maybe how that dynamic changes sort of that betting mindset and that betting mentality.
1: Too early to tell. Sample size is too short so far because, I mean, it's not like we've seen scoring be up for several seasons. It's been right around that 45 to 47 range for a while now. Certainly way more high scoring than what it was 20, 30 years ago where, you know, key numbers were 41, 43. I mean, old timers even tell you 37, 38 used to be significant. But we haven't seen scoring really jump up fast enough, you know, four or five points immediately until this season. So I think for this season, I think you're, you're on it. And I think you got a sharper take than I do right now, as far as me talking about the importance of three Uh, certainly there's, they're less valuable with higher totals and more scoring, but I I don't think the fundamental change, uh, I'm not there to say, Hey, it's going to be fundamentally different from this point forward. I just think this year is going to be more of an outlier than, than not. Maybe it won't be, but right now, and that's the way I would treat it moving forward
0: which is really interesting in a discussion we can have, you know, obviously once these seasons wrap up, but you know, how we interpret the 2020 season for, especially for me with major league baseball playing only 60 games, you know, how we interpret the NFL and the college football seasons where things are just dramatically different. I mean, people like to call this the new normal, but it's, it's not going to be, we're eventually going to get back to normal in these sports betting markets. And you know, how do we evaluate these 2020 seasons will be a pretty interesting thing. And speaking of that, game 257, 258, Houston and Tennessee, we had a team that played on Tuesday night, now <laughs> playing on Sunday. And this is not a situation that we're accustomed to. So you could sit there and say, okay, really quick turnaround, bad thing for Tennessee. I would go the other way and say, Tennessee didn't really practice last week. It's not like they're tired, it's not like they're worn out or anything like yeah. that. And it's a division game. They already know Houston. You know, nothing's going to yep. change overnight with the Houston Texans, even though Bill O'Brien's gone. Nothing looked that much different offensively last week. I think this line's cheap on the Titans personally.
1: Yeah, so many things. Uh, I would say a lot of things you're going to end up just throwing out and just say an outlier 2020 year. But the great thing about this year is we're learning a lot, you know, how what do players mean? Uh, how much to a point spread? A lot of times – overvalued as far as point spreads. I mean, especially in college, 15, 20 players out, doesn't matter. I mean, they still can go out there and field a team and be fine. You would think practice would matter in Tennessee's instance. Team practices one time in two weeks, you'd think it'd be a negative. Uh, they looked fine to me against Buffalo. Uh, so at least you're coming, you know, co- head coaches being out. How much are they worth to the point spread? I don't think that much on an individual game basis. So the the positive I shouldn't say the word positive, the, you know, the decent thing coming out of 2020 is, you know, a lot of this stuff that you'll, we would just never really truly find out, you know, the importance of some of this stuff, we are getting a better grasp of it and and that we can take forward moving forward. You know, for me, I, I don't have a bet on this one, man. I I think Houston getting that toxic Bill O'Brien out of the locker room it could be more than just a one game bump. Sometimes you get that one game bump with the interim. Hey, we got this guy out of the building. Maybe it was just so bad, so toxic for for Houston that that it might be multiple games in this instance. They got a guy with, you know, somewhat of a clue in Romeo Cornell that's been around the block or two when it comes to the NFL. Uh, This has been a perennial playoff team that I thought in additionally that that having that toxic Bill O'Brien around him was just playing an incredibly tough schedule to start off the season. I think it's not fair to judge Houston when they they play Kansas City, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh to start off the season. Hell, a lot of good teams that have even, you know, don't have issues in the front office and the head coach were going to go 0-3 there. So uh, I'm not – I wish I was strong enough to say – I would take three and a half with Houston and say dinner bet. I, I don't have it strong enough at three. But, yeah, I do lean Houston here.
0: Uh, I'll give you three and a half. I'll take Tennessee three and a half if you want to do a dinner bet on it. Oh yeah, dinner bet then. Because
1: uh, I, I think Tennessee's overrated. Even okay, they they crushed Buffalo. They were in a bad spot and crushed Buffalo, but they're plus three in turnovers were out gained. This is a team that that in the first three games of the season really didn't play anybody but yet they you know they won games in fi- in the final, you know, seconds and minutes by field goals. Yeah, I think Tennessee's overrated. So yeah, you're gonna give me three and a half? Give it, give it dinner. Let's do it.
0: We'll do it for dinner. I'm I'm hoping it's
1: got to take it's got to take a dinner, you know, that I already owe you off the plate, sort of a double or nothing. Yeah, I'm Um, not willing to go double or nothing on this one. I I already owe you enough. You know,
0: here's one other element that I kind of like about this, and and when you think about the way that the Houston Astros have been treated, now this is on a different level, but the Astros kind of have that us against the world, f everybody else mentality. Tennessee is not being viewed in a very high light across the football community right now because they put a lot of things at risk by having the COVID cases, then doing the team workouts and all that kind of thing. And quite frankly, a lot of people think they should have had to forfeit that Buffalo game. And I think that there probably is a case to be made because they were reckless and irresponsible after the COVID cases. I think, look, it's a contagious virus. Shit's going to happen. It is what it is. People are going to get it. It's fine. I don't think that... Teams are being, you know, irresponsible or immature or whatever else. But once you get the cases and then you just blatantly ignore what you're supposed to do, that's when it becomes a problem. So they should have had to forfeit that game last week. They didn't. They won. And there was that little clip after the game of Taylor Luan and the Titans official Twitter actually posted about this of Luan basically saying, you know, oh, what do you think about us now? And, you know, all these kinds of things, the same brazen arrogance that the Houston Astros have shown ever since they got popped for stealing signs. I think this is a rallying cry for Tennessee for the rest of the season of nobody likes us except for ourselves. So we're going to deal with it. We're going to tighten up. We're going to respond to it. And even if there were some players that were kind of, you know, sort of put in the corner, so to speak for, you know, violating protocols, being reckless. I think now their teammates are going to say, eh, you know what? I guess it's more about us than it is about what they did. So I kind of like that. I think this is a much more cohesive Tennessee team now than they maybe would have been with those early season struggles. So that factors into the handicap a little bit for me as well.
1: Wow. I like that narrative. And, you know, it fits the mold as far as their head coach, Vrabel, who is a part of a New England uh, organization for several years, us against the world, everybody's against us. So I, I certainly could see him using it as a rallying cry.
0: We've talked about this game a few times on the show already, and I'm not going to have too many thoughts. I've kind of already gone on record with mine, but I know you had some takes uh, before we started recording here on this Cleveland and Pittsburgh game. And with it being such a big spotlight game here in the NFL, I certainly don't mind crowdsourcing opinions on it. So what do you think about it?
1: Uh, you know, I, I mean, it's not going to be revolutionary handicapping here. It's just, you know, I've watched this series my entire life growing up, uh, you know, relatively close in proximity to both. I mean, growing up a Cleveland fan, obviously it hasn't been a good scene as far as Pittsburgh. But I, I mean, to me, especially at the current number uh, uh, of three and maybe lay you know, minus 120 here, but Pittsburgh has won 16 straight times hosting Cleveland. This is the second lowest spread in that time is Cleveland historically good. Yeah, I would say that they are at least compared to what they've they've been uh, since, you know, going back to what, 1994 when Belichick and Saban are on the sidelines for them. So that I agree with. But in order to have an historic line, I think it's got to be both parties and Pittsburgh. I mean, at least record wise, historically good. I mean, they haven't been four and oh, since 1979. So this is a good Pittsburgh team that I think is being undervalued because they've been mediocre last year with the injury to big Ben. He looks okay. They drafted as usual, very well. They added a a really good piece of the rookie wide receiver from Notre Dame and chase Claypool. And to me, it's a mindset. It's what we call in the industry, a helmet game. I mentioned this a couple of times now, uh, Cleveland, when they look, uh, uh, you know, across the sidelines and they see Pittsburgh, I, I just, to me, I can't count on Cleveland, especially in what's perceived to be a close game, to make that play, you know, Baker Mayfield to make that play in the third, fourth quarter to overcome it here. Give me the team that's won 16 straight times over Cleveland, Dom, not 16 straight fortunate wins, we're talking 16 straight by more than, you know, double digits on average. Pittsburgh for me, cheap number people are over. Th- th- there's too many people loving the Browns. It's almost similar to what we saw a couple of years ago it, oh, in the sharp. It's one to bet Cleveland over and over again, even though they continue to lose. I, I think we're, you know, people are loving buying the Cleveland hype again. And I'm just not. It's are you, uh, uh, I like the under, I, the under is a right. historical outlier too. We've never
0: seen a total of in the fifties in this head to head rivalry. So there is that, I mean, I, I do like the under as an outlier, I, you know, the more I hear throughout the week, the more I understand all the Pittsburgh arguments. And I'm very happy with what Cleveland's doing. I'm very happy that their coaching staff is competent. They're probably missing Wyatt Teller this week. That's a huge loss for them because they want to run the football. And he's been the best offensive guard in football so far this year. That concerns me. The pass rush against Baker concerns me. He's got a knack for making mistakes. He's got a knack for getting hit too much. That worries me all, you know, with the Pittsburgh side. And the Browns, I want to see what this Browns team looks like healthy on defense. They haven't had Mac Wilson, Greedy Williams, Denzel Ward's been hurt. They really could have used Grant Delpit this year, although uh, Rodney Harrison's played well for them uh, in the secondary in a relief role. That's what I wonder. I wonder about this Cleveland defense against this Pittsburgh offense and how they do slowing down Roethlisberger, because I think Cleveland will struggle offensively at times in this game. They could have those backbreaking Baker turnovers because those things happen. If the Browns defense shows up, I think they could cover in a lower scoring game. If the Browns defense doesn't show up, I could see this being more of the same. So that's why I do like the under a lot more than a side in this one. I don't have a side play. But again, the more I kind of hear and read and think about this game – the more I think Pittsburgh probably does make sense. Uh, but obviously I'll be rooting for Cleveland because I mean, five and one basically puts them without a massive collapse in the playoffs with the rest of their remaining schedule.
1: Especially with an additional play, you know, team getting in this year, seven teams getting in, I'll make the case against Pittsburgh. Who in the hell they played here's yep. that's your case. The Giants, the Broncos, the Texans, the Eagles. I mean, yeah, the Texans and Eagles would look like good wins prior to the season, but obviously both teams are way down this year. Those t- four teams are combined three and fifteen with w- one tie in there. So they, I mean, Cleveland, you can make strong case best team they played so far. There's your case for the Browns. There you go. All
0: right, let's hit on this Monday Night Football doubleheader. We will do a highlight video for the second of the two games, Arizona and Dallas. But Kansas City, Buffalo here, Kansas City, three and a half, fifty-seven and a half, 57 and a a big total for a Bills game, to say the least. My handicap here is simple. If Matt Milano doesn't play, I'm betting Kansas City. If Matt Milano plays, I'm staying off the game because Milano is so important. Like I talked about earlier uh, during one of our college breakdowns. He's so important as a coverage linebacker, and if you've got any team in the NFL and any coach in the NFL that will exploit a defensive absence, it is Andy Reid, and it will be quarterback Patrick Mahomes. So to me, this handicap is that simple. I think if Milano doesn't play, Buffalo can't keep up offensively. If Milano plays, Buffalo's got a shot. What do you think?
1: Dynamics have completely changed. I thought I would love, love Buffalo, but you know, with, as in 2020 schedule changings, I mean, as of, if this was last week Man, at this time,
0: how did Buffalo got so
1: screwed over? They were going to have oh. the situational spot of the year. I don't care what, what team, because Kansas City was going to have to play three games in 11 days, uh, short week. But now they can be, you throw all that out the window. Kansas City off a loss as a double-digit favorite. I mean, you expect them to be a little bit more focused. Buffalo now is the team. Instead of at a rest disadvantage, uh, advantage now they're at a rest disadvantage. I can only look towards the Chiefs here. Uh, three and a half. Not a high-value bet. We're going to get to that in the spotlight video. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'd lean Chiefs. Yeah. I just
0: – man, I feel so bad for Buffalo.
1: I, they were in. Uh,
0: I mean, like you, t- like you said, it would have been the best situational spot of the year. Yeah, and and it's almost like Kansas City just ignored the Raiders game just to look ahead. Could have all. maybe. I mean, look, I, I took the Raiders plus the points. I figured they'd be in the game. I mean, they're second in percentage of possessions that end in a score. You know, they're able to move the football, but winning outright in the manner that they did, that was stunning. Again, I thought they could cover, but they—I mean, it was double digits. It yeah. was—it was—it was one hell of an outcome there. And and like I said, I mean, Milano is is the key for me in this Buffalo game. And I, I think Milano is important enough to actually move the line. You don't say that about defensive players often. Uh, it's certainly know. not linebackers, but I think he means that much. This scheme runs through him. And again, you talk about now a matchup against a team that can exploit the hell out of that. Yeah, I mean it's that simple for me, and unfortunately, this game's not till Monday, so I may not know by the time I have to put my circuit card in if Milano is going to play or not. But uh, if I, you know, get some news that looks pretty damning about Milano's chances, I think I'm going to have to take Kansas City uh, as one of my plays here for this week. One play I will be taking in the circa. We'll do a highlight video here for the second of the Monday night games on October 19th. Arizona takes on Dallas, game 275, 276. Arizona two point favorite. There are some one and a halves popping up out there now as well. Total, of course, on the rise as it seems to always be for a Cowboys game. Up to fifty five now. And Brad, you and I are going to have a consensus opinion on this one and be on the same side.
1: Yeah, I've already bet Dallas. Money's coming in on Dallas now I moved a point since yesterday. But I like Dallas here. I like Dallas outright. And, and to me, over adjustment due to the Dak Prescott uh, injury. So what I was looking at last, you know, yesterday was a five and a half point adjustment. Look at line was Dallas minus three. We're sitting at two and a half yesterday. I still think it's an over adjustment at the current one and a half number. Look, Andy Dalton for what, you know, I get It's uneven quarterback hit or miss a little bit. Still, I think is a serviceable, you know, he's a below average starting quarterback in the NFL. I don't think he's four and a half points worse than Dak Prescott. And as good as Dak Prescott's been for the Cowboys, I still own five against the spread this year. So uh, you're not paying that normal premium that you would be on the Cowboys because, you know, anybody that's been betting the Cowboys the last five weeks, oh, and five. I mean, they don't get talking about bankroll management. that started the start of the show. And those people of bankroll management. They've been putting it all in on the Cowboys. They don't have anything left. So you're not paying a premium like you typically are with the Cowboys. And again, Dalton to me is not that big of a downgrade. So, that, that, that's the value for me though. Those two instances there, I think they win the game outright on top of it. It's the third straight road game for Arizona, not an ideal spot. And we're talking two, three straight long travel spots for them. So yeah, yeah give me the Cowboys. Yeah. I like the Cowboys
0: here too. I, I think I agree with you that this line has been over adjusted and something else too. And I'll give credit to Cole Ryan, who I used to work with uh, over at bang the book talking about the superstar subtraction theory and, and the idea that, when you lose this key player, and in particular, a superstar like Dak Prescott, everybody else picks it up a little bit. And if I'm, if I'm on the Dallas Cowboys defense, I'm sitting there going, boys, we suck, and we can't. We cannot play as bad as we played now that our quarterback is gone. And they should have been saying that all along, but yeah. now there's going to be an additional level of focus, an additional level of investment and engagement here from this Dallas defense. I think the offense is going to be fine. They've got the skill position guys. They've got, you know, they've had some offensive line injuries and some concerns. That is a worry, but Dalton's a guy he's been around, you know, and and he's had time to kind of assimilate into this offense with, you know, second team reps in practice and all those kinds of things. I think Dalton will be fine. I think the offense is still solid, still above average because of the skill position talent that they have And I think now the defense just has to look themselves in the mirror and say, we got to play better. And I don't know if it's a one-week bump or a multi-week bump or something like that, but I think this is a situation where Dallas does circle the wagons, does unite, does come together, does come to play. And something else we haven't even talked about yet, I don't think Arizona's that good. I I love Kyler Murray. I love what Cliff Kingsbury's doing, trying to speed up the tempo and all of that. I just don't think Arizona's that good of a football team either.
1: Yeah, I'm probably a little bit more higher than, than you are, but let's look at the schedule. Who have they really played? The Jets, the Lions, the you know the, the football team, I should say, uh, the 49ers who have disappointed, you know, Carolina, but that was a loss. They were dominating that game against the Panthers, who are better than expected. So, yeah, I don't think Arizona's average at best might even be below average. And let's just say this: Dallas wins this game. Hey, man, you're talking about clear-cut NFC East champs. I mean, at least they're going to be the favorite at that point. They get a win here. They're in good shape to to win the division.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. At least moving
1: in that direction.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, I mean, look, you know, they're going to find out what happens on Sunday, too. You know, Philadelphia is very likely to lose to Baltimore. The the Giants and Washington play each other, but neither one of those teams are a factor. So Dallas gets another little extra kick in the ass uh, based on what probably happens in that Baltimore-Philadelphia game. So everything pointing towards Dallas here is we've got a consensus opinion On this highlight video for ATS Radio, make sure you listen to the full broadcasts, our entire podcast of ATS Radio, now Tuesday through Friday, uh, moving Kyle Hunter, of course, from Monday to Wednesday. So Tuesday through Friday, right here on ATS Radio. All right. With that, anything else in the NFL market you want to talk about before we close up shop on uh, what I think has been our longest show together?
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm tapping out, man. Tapping out. Yeah,
0: I, I got it. My fat ass has got to go eat some lunch. So
1: <laughs> I didn't mean anything by that, man. Jeez. No, it's fine. It's fine. God. It's just,
0: I, you know what? It's uh look, we're we're a self-deprecating lot. Very sports much so. That's just that's just how we roll here. And uh I know Brad Powers does a lot of rolling over at Brad Powers sports dot com. What's going on over at the site right now, man?
1: <laughs> yeah, ro- rolling, uh, you know, th- there's some fat rolls, and maybe I should be rolling some some other things. At least that was the advice that somebody gave me as far as betting goes. But if you are interested in information, and you just don't want picks, but you want to take a look at my power rings, you want to take a look at my thought processes about each college game, each NFL game, all through the Super Bowl, every single week, you get an email to you. it's my Powers Picks newsletter, and it does have picks in it. It is called Powers Picks, uh, and, and they've done... F- Fairly well, 57% over six years, 61% this year. It's not all that bad. I know I like to bitch, piss, and moan about losers, but I actually do win most of the time, or at least uh, stay above that cut level. If you're interested in it, it's just 79 bucks for the rest of the season. Go to BradPowerSports.com.
0: And speaking of the power ratings, keep in mind, we've got four new conferences coming up in college yep. football here soon, too. So that'll give you a nice barometer of where Brad is in terms of the Big Ten, Pac-12, Mountain West, and the Mac. And I will be referencing those myself as I put together my power ratings this weekend uh, for at least the two conferences coming up and maybe start doing some, uh, you know, initial work on the other two that are coming. But again, over at Brad sports.com at Brad powers and the number seven on Twitter, highly recommend that powers picks newsletter to say the least. And Brad, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week.
1: All right. Sounds good. Take care of my friend.
0: There you go. Once again, professional handicapper and better Brad Powers from Brad at Brad Powers and the number seven on Twitter. Coming up on our Friday edition of ATS Radio, my thoughts for week six in the Circus Sports Million 5 and 0 start to the second quarter, me and 196 other entries. So hopefully I uh, have another good week here this weekend and kind of separate a little bit from the pack. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.